0: This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 48 of world to win Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, so click the bell button so you're notified whenever we are live or when we upload a new video. And also don't forget to subscribe to us on all of the podcast channels uh, that you might want to listen to, you know? If you're on the way to a protest, uh, because this is finally happening again, you can listen to us on the way as well, you don't have to watch it on YouTube. And that being said, maybe, Uh, If you're listening today on YouTube, maybe put in in the comments which was the last protest you went to and what was it about. I'm really interested to know. Um, But now we can kind of move on to our episode, which I think is a really, really exciting one. And I want to tell you that Toya and I have been talking about doing this episode for so long because we're both kind of like, we need to understand more about this and... I know I'm teasing you a bit, this is gonna be an episode about cryptocurrencies and kind of like, what is the socialist analysis about them? And I think this is also you know, a topic that's becoming more and more kind of interesting for working class people and a topic that we hear on the streets all the time as well. But before we go into it, I wanna say hi to you Toya, how are you doing?
0: Hey Yara, good to see you. I'm too excited about this episode, not because I have a ton to say about cryptocurrency, but I'm glad we have our guests on here to kind of dissect, um, you know, the cryptocurrency itself, a lot of the myths around it. I don't know about you, but all of my coworkers are now investing in cryptocurrency and people are talking about it as a solution um, to economic crisis. And so I'm very curious um, to hear what our guests um, have to say about that.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the main things, because I completely agree with you, like, every everywhere you go, someone's talking about it, no matter who they are, like, even people who are not interested in the financial system at all, because I think, obviously, as socialists to us, it's obviously, like, kind of obvious that the system is broken, but I think more and more working class people are realising that, and have been realising that in the last, you know, 15 years since the crash, but are looking for actual solutions. And it sounds really promising, you know, like the, the, the spikes in prices that it, 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 it just feels like a no-brainer solution. Um, so I'm really, you know, interested to hear what uh, people have to say about this today. And especially, you know, I've had a few friends who aren't only investing in cryptocurrencies now, but quit their jobs and started, you know, trading it as their like sole kind of job. And I think it's really interesting to, to hear what kind of like our analysis on it is and whether it's actually, you know, this solution that it's made up to be.
0: Yeah, because it's not something that Karl Marx wrote about, you know, like last week we talked about Lenin. He didn't have a position on cryptocurrency. So I think it's really important for us, um, you know, as socialists to talk about new phenomenon, even though there are so many lessons from the past that we can learn. It, it's important for us to talk about these things that are coming up today.
1: And yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because it really connects well to a couple of episodes ago when we talk about we talked about modern monetary theory and like you know the the kind of kind of fight between the talk about inflation and the talk about cryptocurrencies and how they're inflation resistant and all of that, which I'm sure we're gonna go into because it's one of those you know big topics when it comes to talking about uh, about crypto. Um, but I also think that it's it's one of these things that like you said. We, we don't have classical theory about and it, it's, it's really giving us this, the opportunity to take those class this, this classical literature and apply it to something that's completely novel and completely new that wouldn't that couldn't even be imagined when Marx and even when Lenin were, were writing
0: absolutely so who do we have on the show with us today?
1: Oh I'm really excited about this so first of all we have Manus from the Socialist Party which is the ISA in Ireland so how are you doing Manus what, what have you been up to?
2: Uh, Hi folks, thanks for uh, asking me to speak. Um, Great to be here. One major thing going on here in Ireland is uh, two weeks ago we launched a Debenhams Declaration. That's a statement signed by workers involved in this heroic 400-day dispute that you might have heard about. Um, The Declaration basically draws lessons from that strike to inform future struggles. So uh, check that out at DebenhamsDeclaration.org. If you want a really fine example of how engaging in a struggle can be deeply politicising for people, there's um, a collective statement, then there's individual statements, and the points, the political points, are hard hitting and really far reaching. Uh, so, I uh, urge you to take a look at that.
1: Thanks, Manus. Yeah, I think first of all that the the Debenhams workers' struggle is an incredible inspiration for everyone I think uh, that has heard of it around the world. So. Really solidarity to you about it, but also if you're giving a link out, I also want to mention that you actually wrote a really interesting article about cryptocurrency, um, which uh, uh, people should check out. It's going to be linked in the description box as well. Which I think I, I read it a couple of days ago uh, to prepare for this episode, and it's it's su- such a brilliant kind of analysis of it and uh, kind of touching on all of the points one after the other in a really concise way. So. I really urge people to look through it but we also have another speaker we have tony here from uh socialist alternative in the us so how are you doing tony what, what have you been up to
3: hey uh i've been uh, actually um doing these things called mega tables with socialist alternative in the us uh these are tables where we go out and talk to people about um about politics and kind of uh sell our newspaper. Uh, I've talked to people about uh, Joe Biden. Um, I'm, I'm definitely assessing that on the streets, people are getting more skeptical. Kind of the uh, longer uh, Joe Biden drags out kind of um, his infrastructure bill and a lot of his other promises. Uh, we, we've also been talking to people about Shama Sawant, who is a city councilor in Seattle, who led uh, a tax um, or a tax on, on Amazon, uh, a $240 million tax on Amazon to uh, fund affordable housing, and she's currently facing recall. Uh, and we're, we're engaged in a campaign to defend her against this uh, right-wing recall uh, of her position.
1: Thanks, Tony. And, and yeah, I think uh, everyone who's watching this show should know about Shaman. If you don't, we have a few episodes uh, about the recall campaign as well. So go and check them out. Um, but before we move on, what is so mega about these tables?
3: Well, these tables are uh, twice the length of our usual tables. So we usually table for about two hours and these tables are four hours long. There's a morning shift and an afternoon shift. And actually uh, the entire city uh, organization of Boston got together and we had multiple tables all throughout the city in one day. Uh, in fact, I had uh, been tabling with Toya uh, and we had, we had been uh, going around flagging down bikers with uh, our newspaper saying, are you interested in checking out a social newspaper? And people would actually stop and turn around, one person even biked around to talk more about the ideas of socialism. That's how exciting I think these ideas are for ordinary people.
1: That's that's so amazing to hear about it. You know, um, obviously our organization in Britain where I'm based is quite a lot smaller than yours. So it's really amazing to hear of what you're doing and kind of the mega things. I'm really hoping that soon we can do that too. Um, But speaking of kind of like the way that more and more people are interested in socialist ideas, I wanted to ask the first question, which is obviously going to be a very basic one to understand, because so many people are talking about it, but I think there's very little about what it actually is, what cryptocurrencies actually are, what, what they actually are. So I was wondering, can you tell us why we've been talking about it? What, what are they? What is the relevance to our lives?
3: Yeah, so a cryptocurrency is a digital money uh, with a system for tracking payments. Uh, And this system is usually decentralized and public. The most famous currency, Bitcoin, uses a system like this. Uh, What this means is that uh, Bitcoin, for example, is a digital uh, currency where anybody can see any transaction that happens uh, using Bitcoin. When somebody pays for something with Bitcoin, there are computers that are running uh, Bitcoin servers and they use cryptography. And that's where the crypto part of cryptocurrency comes from. They use cryptography to determine whether or not a new purchase or a new transaction is legitimate. Uh, there's no central entity that's running this, uh, these computations. Uh, there's a network of computers, and so a majority vote of these computers are needed to uh, approve each transaction. So that's a mouthful. Uh, but uh, long story short, Bitcoin allows everyone to become an accountant, and kind of spreads the bookkeeping across multiple different computers. That's uh, what that is. Um, additionally, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, have only a finite supply, meaning that in the case of Bitcoin, only 21 million Bitcoins can ever exist. In, in that, That's just a set in stone. And so far, only a portion of that have been uh, mined, meaning that they have been uh, created. And so this is... Uh, supposed to simulate the restrictions of gold and silver with the idea that by limiting your money supply, uh, you're also limiting inflation. So you can't, you know, go print the money like crazy. Uh, you're, you're not going to have hyperinflation. That, that, that's the idea behind Bitcoin. And so I think this makes Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies very different from our banking system today, where private banks keep secret accounts and they, they uh, have control over the money supply. And I think this leads to a lot of um, beliefs in kind of the promise of Bitcoin. Uh, And finally, I want to mention uh, briefly the rise of crypto tokens, which are like cryptocurrency, except that the cryptography isn't used to prove the legitimacy of payments. It's used to prove the legitimacy of other things, such as property deeds or titles to artwork and so on. And so we're seeing that this basic technology of using cryptography to verify uh transactions and verify property ownership and so on this is being uh adopted across uh the industry
0: thanks tony so i want to go to manis because you know as yara explained you wrote that excellent article which everyone should totally check out um, following this episode here today um you know tony was explaining what cryptocurrency actually is um you know using uh yeah, technology um, to uh, yeah expand the way we uh, uh, have economic transactions, etc. Um, but for me, one of you know the things that I think about is not everyone has the same access to technology, to even electricity and internet. So, what are some of the positives, um, you know, in regards to changing our currency to a cryptocurrency?
2: Well. There's three main arguments uh, that advocates of cryptocurrencies use. The first one is the utopian argument uh, that it will make the world a better place. People, for very good reasons, don't trust banks or governments, so cryptocurrencies can boast that they are peer to peer, not mediated by any bank or government. It's secure and the transactions are all verified collectively by the whole network. Uh, It's decentralized. And so the argument is that this is democratizing finance. Um, Secondly, there's like an eccentric kind of quaint argument based on a bizarre, like nostalgia for the days of the gold standard. Um, As Tony mentioned, it's supposedly immune to currency inflation because there's a finite supply. Now, Inflation is no doubt a problem in some countries in the world, etc. But I don't actually know a lot of people who are worried about currency inflation as their main thing as opposed to, you know, people who worry about low pay, the cost of housing, debt, climate destruction, etc. Um, so, yeah, if you're wor- if you're really worried about currency inflation, then, uh, yeah, g- crypto is, 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 is your thing, I guess. Um, thirdly, there's like a pragmatic argument, which is by far the most convincing, uh, that it's a good bet. So just to give you the numbers, um, over the last year, cryptocurrency prices have risen dramatically. The example of Bitcoin is is outstanding. It went from 5 grand to 60 grand. That's in dollars. And now it's crashed down to 28 grand. But that's still an incredibly good year uh, for Bitcoin. In case you're wondering, the next biggest is, is around the 2000 mark. Um, So, big players such as PayPal have bought into it uh, in October 2020, so the whole thing appears more credible. So, um, my strong impression is that crypto started out as a plaything of people who have a lot of wealth and a lot of technical knowledge, um, but not much understanding of politics or economics, just a load of, like free market, Reagan, Thatcher ideology in their heads. Uh, So that's why they're so concerned about inflation and not anything else. It's That's a neoliberal free market dogma, you know? There are other fundamental weaknesses. So, to return to Bitcoin, we're going to be talking a lot about Bitcoin, that's just the reality. Um, In its 12 years of existence, Bitcoin has never functioned as a currency, except on the kind of more illegal and shady corners of the economy because it's incredibly inefficient and volatile. In the last month alone, it's gone between 33,000 and 26,000. So if you're walking to the shop to buy groceries, by the time you get there, it will have changed price. And then when you get to the checkout, uh, it'll take 10 minutes to verify your transaction because it's got to verify that transaction with the entire network all over the world. So um, secondly, So much for democratizing finance when you find out that actually 2% of the network entities control nearly three quarters of all bitcoins. Um, So in theory, actually, a small number of players could rig the entire system, refuse to verify other people's transactions, etc. But even if that doesn't happen, that's still a a staggering level of inequality within a supposedly democratic, decentralized system. But that's You know, the existing financial and currency systems are terrible. They're set up to serve the rich. We're all in agreement on that here. Uh, But Bitcoin is a system with zero regulation and zero taxation. And the same goes for the other cryptocurrencies. So I don't know what's going to happen to the price of Bitcoin tomorrow or in a week. It's incredibly volatile. Um, But I'm certain of a few things. It's not going to become a new global currency system. It's not going to replace the banking system. If somehow it did, it would produce even worse outcomes, Uh, all kinds of chaos, volatility, fraud, inequality, stupidity of all kinds, even worse than what we currently see
1: in the world. Yeah, I think this is a really important point because, you know, as as I said, I have a, a lot of friends and I think all of us would have a lot of friends and colleagues and everyone who's really, who are really interested in these markets. And I had a friend who asked me like, why aren't you investing in Bitcoin? Surely you're a socialist. This is exactly what you want it's a democratic form of currency. And I think you've explained really well why this democracy is not really democratic, like why it being decentralized doesn't mean democratic. Um, And I also think, you know, that the points that you were making about how, like, you know, inflation isn't the first thing on people's minds. I think the point that Tony made before about uh, uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, it really kind of shows that because this technology is used in ways that I think are even, like, they're not even instinctive to working class people a lot of the times. Like, you know, what gives NFTs their value is nothing really uh, it's it's you know it, the, the file that you're getting is the same file regardless if it's the one that has the the nft tag on it or not so it's it's kind of like value that's created out of nothing and has no real purpose but i was wondering because we are talking about kind of the element of democracy and the element of also you were talking about how much the value out of nothing has grown so much so what actually gives cryptocurrencies their value
2: um so the first thing that comes to mind is the oscar wilde quote about people these know people these days know the the price of everything and the value of nothing or whatever just highlighting the difference between you know price and value because Bitcoin doesn't really have any value uh, unless you're in the illegal sectors of the economy, then yes, it has a certain value for you, but apart from that, not really. Um, It doesn't have any value at all, but it has a colossal price. Um, And where that price comes from is over the last 50 years or so, there's been this colossal financialization of the economy with wealthy people shifting their investment away from production and into stock market stock market gambling, financial instruments of increasing complexity, profitable investments are few and far between and even more so now with the US-China trade war. And then on top of that, over the last 18 months, you have a load of COVID stimulus money gone into the financial markets and just blown up a whole load of crazy bubbles. And uh, so crypto is not a currency revolution. It's actually just another one of these bubbles, at least in its current form in this, you know, Uh, what we're seeing at the moment. So um, there's a certain desperation about this, you know, that the wealthy are are desperate for easy profits. The system is desperate. It's in a bit of a frenzy and trying to keep this rotten and bankrupt system going. So that's why powerful institutions and now even entire countries in Latin America are buying into crypto. there's a point to be made about the tulip craze in the 1630s in the Netherlands where the price of tulips was speculated on and it grew to be many times the annual wage of a skilled worker, etc. Um, the thing is, uh, bitcoins are take far more energy to produce than tulips, but they have even less use value of any kind whatsoever. So what we're seeing is like, Rather than an escape from the horrible realities of capitalism, what we're seeing is the ultimate and most absurd expression of it. This is the, the most literal form. We said Max didn't talk about this, obviously he didn't, but he used the term fictitious capital. This is literally fictitious capital.
0: That's an interesting term you use Manish, ficti- fictitious capital. Um, but so many workers um, are Investing in this, you know, especially after we saw um, what happened with the whole GameStop craze, which if you didn't see our episode on GameStop, totally check it out after this one, um, where, you know, tons of people made thousands of dollars, um, you know, on the short squeeze or whatever it's called in in, uh, the stock market. And now people have this new consciousness when it comes to, you know, that day trading with all of the apps. Um, And I know for me, my coworkers, all they talk about, it's not Bitcoin, but it's that other one. I'm going to say it wrong, but it's like Dogecoin, Dogecoin, whatever it is. But, you know, they buy it for pennies and they're investing thousands and thousands of dollars in this. So, I mean, with something that is fictitious, as you said, and something that's manipulated so easily by, you know, what Elon Musk says on Saturday Night Live, why are people turning to this? Why are people investing their life savings in something that isn't real?
2: I think for the same peop- for the same reason that people uh, buy lottery tickets. Um, it- it's incredibly frustrating for people who've worked hard for years, for decades, and they're still priced out of housing, no job or a low pay, precarious job, debt. No safety net. On top of that, you have the desperation of a pandemic situation. People are really desperate and looking for some lifeline. And this rotten capitalist system that we're all living under, they're looking around and they're seeing it's not going to provide them with healthcare or a place to live or a dignified existence. And um, they see the way this price is climbing and they see this potential here, you know, for me to escape. So people are turning to cryptocurrencies. Um, According to one estimate, one-fifth of the population of the United States hold Bitcoin. So you do hear success stories about people who, for example, paid off their university debt using cryptocurrency. And you gotta say sincerely, good for them. It's good to see someone getting out of the rat race or or whatever, but at most that's an individual solution for you and for most people, well, crypto is not even going to be an individual solution because you're gonna lose. Um, The fantasy of the Bitcoin enthusiasts, of like the the hardcore people, uh, is that in a few years time when Bitcoin has taken over the world, suckers like me who didn't want to buy Bitcoin in 2020, 2021, will all be clamoring to get our hands on it for any price. And those people who bought in now are going to be this new global aristocracy looking down on the rest of us, selling us Bitcoins. so they even have a charming little slogan for crypto skeptics: "Have fun staying poor," and they have it on T-shirts, etc. So much for any claims that you know it's altruistic and they want to democratize finance and make the world a better place, you know. But I think for most people there isn't the same level of cynicism to it or the same you know uh, unpleasantness as that. But like, there is a lot of magical thinking going on, and I hope that this episode will bring at least some people back down to earth. It's another speculative commodity and it's different in important ways, but it's another speculative commodity. 46 million people in the U S alone own Bitcoin. And how the hell is that supposed to make them all rich? Um, Where's all this wealth going to come from? Um, On the contrary, I think tragically, and I'm saying this with, with, with no glee whatsoever, I think most of these people are going to turn out to be the cannon fodder in a horrible pyramid scheme. So, there's a whole culture, a whole industry of people who have a vested interest in that price going up and they build themselves as cryptocurrency experts. Um, but, you know, it's snake oil salesman type stuff, you know. Um, and that's where we were talking about where the value comes from. That's it, you know. There, People, there's a whole industry hyping this up. Also think, who has more power in this situation? Some corporation or investment fund, which has crypto holdings worth billions, or the average worker who's leverage their life savings to buy a fraction of a bitcoin you know um cryptocurrencies they don't have the ability to iron out the problems of capitalism they're they're a financial and a monetary solution to what is actually a problem of wealth distribution so on the contrary they just replicate the inequalities of capitalism in a new arena
1: i think this is an incredibly important point i think that what what you said about kind of how this uh, kind of a new aristocracy uh, that they see themselves in uh, as is really important because w- there is this contradiction between the you know the enlightened uh, the way that uh, a lot of kind of bitcoin enthusiasts see themselves and what is technically meant to be behind this currency um and i think that there's a lot of things that you can point at with bitcoin uh, that uh, all of these enthusiasts keep pointing to as like you know the thing that's so good about it how you know the the people who made it moved away from it and didn't put any like you know any percentages of it just for them and truly believed in the cause of uh, democratizing and decentralizing currencies but then you see all of these uh, different uh, cryptocurrencies where this is not exactly the case and like any market it's kind of moving towards this uh, like you said, like this speculative area, which Bitcoin still is, but even this kind of facade of democratization is gone from both the people who are buying it, both of the people who are making these new coins. And speaking of new coins, I know that Toya mentioned Dogecoin. And I saw that Tony was kind of nodding and smiling about it. And I was wondering, Tony, what, what, what do you have to say about Dogecoin?
3: So Yara and uh, Toya, a couple of years ago, I looked into buying Dogecoin, not for myself, but for my best friend's dog. And then I was going to put in a dollar's worth, and then I stopped myself. I stopped myself because I thought, what am I doing here? Dogs can't use Dogecoin. They don't know how to use computers. So I was like, this is a stupid idea. So I didn't go ahead with it. And at that point, this was just a complete joke currency. It was a currency made to make fun of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And the fact that it's now worth something tangible is actually u- utterly ridiculous. And who knows, you know, you know, if I had bought my best friend's dog a dollar's worth of Dogecoin back then, you know, maybe she can, she can afford a veterinarian treatment, you know, now. But I think it, 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 it was a huge gamble and uh, I do not regret not buying uh, my, my friend's dog a Dogecoin.
1: You know, I think, I think that's a really good point because even if you buy it and you get all of this money from it, it's still a gamble, regardless of what you do, and this gamble isn't gonna be sustainable uh, for the long term, because we know this na- the nature of the system, we mentioned GameStop, and once ordinary people like us buy coins for our dogs too much, it's gonna uh, tank, and it's gonna be taken away from us. So, I think, uh, yeah, I agree, even though you might be so rich, you wouldn't need to be in this party anymore, um, it's a good a good, uh, a good thing that you didn't buy it. But I wanna move on because we talked a lot about mining and mining kind of cryptocurrencies. And I think one of the things that's been in the news constantly in the last year, especially, about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies generally is the impact on the environment. And you know, I don't need to mention the environment any longer. You know, I think anyone in the Northern Hemisphere right now is experiencing it uh, is knowing what climate change, uh, means on the most, you know, uh, kind of, uh, primordial basis. Um, you know, I think the temperatures in Siberia rose to 48 Celsius, which is 118 Fahrenheit, in June. And it's just, it's just insane. It's insane what's happening. and. Bitcoin mining, which you know, it sounds very, it sounds very funny because obviously it's all down on computers. It's not actual, actual mining. So how can it actually impact the environment? But the amount of energy that uh, it takes to mine these coins, you know, it's the that it's computers upon computers, servers upon servers that are just used exclusively to run code that mines these coins, and it takes a ridiculous amount of energy it it's it said that it accounts for 0.5 percent of total global e- electricity consumption which obviously is insane for something that we've as we said over and over again is speculative completely and has no real value so i want th- to i want to hear more kind of from you manis about the role of cryptocurrencies in climate change because we can talk about cryptocurrencies as you know something that is not going to solve uh, the inequalities it's not going to solve the problems with our financial system but i think the point about the climate is really important because it's actively going against working people uh, in and in, in a massive way when it comes to the climate so how how does it do it and what 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 is behind it
2: so yeah there's an active harm going on here um, at different po- times uh, bitcoin has used as much energy per year as entire nations such as Argentina, Sweden, Malaysia, Switzerland, Ireland, you know, it goes up and down with the volatility of the currency. So because of it, because of the nature of the technology used to keep the currency verified and secure, using Bitcoin is an incredibly wasteful process and apparently it uses several thousand times more energy than just swiping your card for a transaction. So This is a really important topic, and um, I'm glad you brought it up, because it's to do with that bringing the topic back down to earth. And the best way to bring it down to earth is to remind people about the physical infrastructure of Bitcoin. These gigantic warehouses, where there are tens of thousands of very powerful computers lined up, working round the clock, sustaining the digital infrastructure of of cryptocurrencies, uh, especially Bitcoin. Um, I'll give you an example from uh, Texas from when there was the power cuts recently. So Bitcoin miners had bought up a load of energy to keep their machines going. So they had a surplus of energy right when other people's uh, lights were going out. So they sold the energy back to the public at, I think it was 700% the normal price of energy. They absolutely gouged people when they were at their most desperate. So. That's the level of energy consumption and storage that we're talking about. That's the level of power and wealth that these people have. And that's the level of callousness we're talking about. Um, so from an environmental point of view, this absolutely can't be justified. It should be number one, the number one thing that we scrap. It's, it's scandalous. And only under capitalism would energy sufficient to power entire nations be diverted into just helping rich people swap their digital money around on the internet. So we had millions of school students protesting for climate action. Meanwhile, we had 13% of the human race with no access to electricity at all. And while all this is going on, a solid chunk of the world's energy consumption is going into Bitcoin. Totally useless, even harmful pursuit. So there's a recognition of this dawning. Uh, The Chinese government is several Chinese provinces have shut down Bitcoin mining operations because for a while they were happy to just take the money. But now it's got to the point where the existence of these operations is sabotaging the energy grid for other industries. And that's what's behind the fall in the price of Bitcoin from 60 grand to circa 25, 30 grand.
0: Some of those numbers that you just said, Manis, are heartbreaking. I mean, we see it with all sorts of energy, right? Like they convince you to rent solar panels to put on your roof and then you can't even use that energy from those solar panels for your house. You have to buy that energy back, you know? Working people put all of this uh, money into the electrical grid, and the workers in the community build the electrical grid, and then when they need to use that electricity, they have to buy it back for 700%. It's just, it's heartbreaking what you're saying. Um, But, you know, as you've mentioned, there's tons and tons of resources going into this mining you know we, sh- we should find a new word for it because it makes you makes you think of those West Virginia coal miners you know coming out with a pick on their back or something um, but yeah there's resources going into this mining what uh, you know from a socialist perspective what should those resources be used for
2: so what resources are we talking about we're talking about human talent really qualified intelligent people. Um, We're talking about wealth, we're talking about energy, and we're talking about computing power. And, you know, all that is going into this utterly trivial uh, thing. Um, The computers themselves, apparently, lined up in their tens of thousands in these warehouses, are useless for any other purpose. They're designed specifically for cryptocurrencies. So that's just a waste of resources that humanity is never going to get back. Um, But the other things can absolutely be repurposed. Why don't, why don't we use that kind of wealth uh, to provide everyone in the world with free electricity for a start? If you want to democratize something, start there. The, the mathematical and technical expertise that's going into cryptocurrencies could be going into solving medical problems and engineering problems to do with green energy, transport, any one of a ra- range of things. Um, and just to say, we've talked a lot about decentralizing and democratizing it. Decentralizing is not necessarily the same thing as democratizing, you know. The world of Mad Max is decentralized, but it's not necessarily democratic. But if you want to democratize finance, don't decentralize it. Nationalize the banks. Place them under the democratic control of elected representatives uh, of the working class. How about, as well as democratizing finance, we democratize wealth. We place the major industries and resources under democratic public ownership so that we can work out a plan to use these resources for people's benefit. So a socialist world with democratic public control over the economy, we could use this kind of computing power to allocate and distribute resources, to draw plans and economic models and simulations for economic development and things like that. So if you want to take away something positive from Bitcoin, all this waste of resources actually shows what colossal untapped potential would exist if we had a more rational system designed to meet human needs instead of servicing the stupid utopian gambling projects dreamed up by rich people. So yeah, if if they want to have an eccentric hobby where they mess around with digital money, that's fine. But they don't get to consume as much energy as Argentina. And they certainly don't get to say that they're trying to make the world a better place or whatever, you know, only under capitalism
0: this has been an excellent discussion and you know i know after uh participating in this i've you know learned a lot about cryptocurrency um because it is something that's very confusing and it's new um you know and as we stated at the beginning of the episode this is not something that we can look back in history or you know look at philosophers and socialists and activists from from the past on what they you know how they dealt with it what their thoughts were on it Um, We're kind of creating that here now. Um, So I want to end with Tony, you know, since we can't look to Lenin uh, to ask, what would Lenin think in this situation? um, If cryptocurrency is not going to end um, income inequality and, uh, you know, climate disaster, clearly all of these problems that we talk about on the show so often, um, what is what is a a socialist solution, um, you know, for... Uh, saving the world and, and, and ending inequality, ending suffering, ending oppression?
3: Great question, Toya. So I think uh, ending the power of uh, the big, big banks, uh, ending inflation, ending all these ills is not a uh, technological question, but a question of who runs society. As long as the ruling class is capitalist, they can control new technologies like cryptocurrency. Uh, for example, uh, if any one uh, person or any one entity owns more than half of the Bitcoin network, they can actually completely control the currency, meaning that they can uh, spend other people's Bitcoins, uh, make forgeries, and, and so on. And you know, buying up more than half the network is completely possible for major banks and governments and so on. Uh, this is because we're living in a society where most of the wealth is owned by a few capitalists, uh, and we've already seen as... Maz had said, uh, these capitalists buying up large amounts of cryptocurrency for speculation and manipulation. Uh, the wealth that capitalists uh, accumulate, it doesn't come straight from the government and, and it, it doesn't come straight from the way banking works, but it comes from the appropriation of value that workers generate. So as long as factories... Offices, research labs, the media, and so on, as long as those things are owned by the capitalist class, they're going to get richer off the backs of workers, regardless of how they bank or where they store their money in in dollars or bitcoins and uh, and so on. And so, you know, the same private property rights that give uh, bitcoins and crypto tokens their value uh, also uh, condense these new technologies to be subservient to the actual owners of private property, which is the, the capitalist class. Um, so we, we've heard from uh, both Manus and also uh, like our friends, I've got friends who, who say this too, that uh, they, they've bought Bitcoin and they're able to pay off that me- medical debt where there's student loans and so on. And that's not a bad thing, but it's highly dangerous to gamble. Uh, and not everybody uh, can benefit that way. Um, so I think a socialist program would cancel student debt and uh, it would have free college tuition so that no one has to go into debt just to get a job, just to get an education. Uh, a socialist program would establish Medicare for all so that no one has to choose between seeing the doctor and avoiding medical bankruptcy. And these are not easy. This is much harder than, than paying money into uh, Bitcoin or, or buying a bit of uh, cryptocurrency. Uh you know, the, uh, big corporations and lenders will fight against these measures. But it's the only way where everybody can, can benefit and not just the lucky few who are able to win some money on Bitcoin. Uh, and we need to organize in order to fight for the cancellation of student debt and for Medicare for All. Uh, but what we also need to do is take these large corporations into democratic public ownership. Uh, as I said before, like the... The rich get richer off the backs of workers, right, because they own all of, all of these corporations, they own all of this, uh, uh, th- th- this capital. Socialists believe that in order for working people to truly have a say in the distribution of wealth, in the financial system, in inflation, it's not through uh, buying into cri- cryptocurrency, but uh, the working class itself needs to be the class that rules uh, society, Big banks should be taken under public ownership and democratically controlled, so that we can open the books of shady corporations, so that we can uh, have these banks and the Federal Reserve as well uh, be accountable to ordinary people, uh, so that they're not printing money for each other, uh, but that you know the inflation targets, uh, uh, money printing—if if that needs to happen—all of that is done on uh, is done for the benefit of ordinary people and not for the uh, the one percent. And if uh, workers can take uh, big corporations into uh, democratic public uh, control, um, we can actually do a lot of stuff with that. We can end predatory lending for good. We can wipe clean the crushing debts of working people that have paid back many many times over the original amount that they had uh, borrowed. We can also raise real wages by not having billionaires and not selling goods for profits. Uh, and this will also actually control inflation. Not the way that Bitcoin is controlling inflation because we see that the price of Bitcoin is going up and down like crazy. But uh, you know, inflation is not just a, a problem of money supply, but it's a question of both how much money there is and how much value there is in uh, society as well. And with a rationally planned economy, we can actually balance those two and create a stable financial system that, uh, that really benefits working people. And so what all of this amounts to is a complete socialist transformation of s- society. Into a society where, uh, where workers, uh, you know, where the people that run s- society, the workers, also make the decisions. And this kind of society won't work in just one country either. It, need- it needs to be international in order to survive. And I think that's why I'm so uh, proud to be part of uh, the International Socialist Alternative and beyond this uh, this show, because a revolutionary international socialism is the only way to end crushing debts, raise living standards for workers, and end inequality for good.
1: Thank you so much, Manus, and to Tony. I, this was really, really interesting, and I really agree with what you said there, Tony, as well. I feel like there's so much, there's so many problems with the system, the debt, the, you know, the housing crisis that I'm sure Manus could talk on and on about <laughs> if we wanted to uh, go into that, and all of that is not a problem that, like you said, it's not a problem that. Will be solved with tech. It's a problem of the way that the resources are managed and who owns those resources as well. But I also wanna like stress that this tech is also useless. It's not like this te- like it's not like we oppose tech. We oppose tech that has no actual benefit to the lives of working people. And if we spend so much so much time and energy and also talent on creating tech like that. What could we do with the energy, with the talent, with all of these things that are spent on this to instead of creating tech that would actually benefit the lives of working people, uh, which is something that we can only do when the resources are ours and not by the hands of a tiny minority. So Again, thank you so much for being here. I know that I know so much more about cryptocurrencies now than I did uh, at the start of this. So thank you so much for being here and hope to see you soon. So we got to the end of this episode. I know both of us have been looking forward to this episode literally for months. So I'm really excited we got to do this. Uh, But now we have the most exciting part of each episode, which is the shout out of the week. So who's shouting out to Toya?
0: Well, Yara, actually, we're shouting out ourselves. We have two huge, exciting things. Um, So, the first thing I mentioned last week, and so I just want to plug it again. Um, On July 25th, we're doing an international socialist virtual rally. Um, It's going to be huge. Um, You know, we have speakers from all continents that are coming. We're going to have 10 languages that you can hear it in. Um, And yeah, it's going to be a huge event. So we really want people to tune in. Yara, are you going to be there?
1: I mean, is it even a question?
0: Yes, I hope you're going to be there. It's going to be so much fun. But then the second thing um, that I'm kind of even more excited about um, is we're going to have a weekly newsletter. So that way, um, you know, our subscribers and people who, who watch and listen to our show are able to stay connected to us on a weekly basis. So we're going to be sending out, um, you know, articles, links to our videos, podcasts, etc. Um, yeah, so two shout outs for ourselves this week, because we're just doing so many exciting things.
1: Yeah, and we're really moving into the 21st century, doing a whole digest for for people. I'm I'm here for it, I love it. And, I mean, obviously you can find the link to sign up uh, in the description box, so you can do it right now because we're done. But also I want to remind you that despite the fact that uh, we're going to have this amazing rally in a couple of weeks' time, until then we are not going to be producing episodes because we are going to be preparing for a virtual marxist university how exciting is that doya
0: i'm pumped there's going to be so many fun sessions so if you are a member of the international social alternative make sure you sign up just a few days left and if you're not a member of the international social alternative you should join. So you can participate in this week long event that we're ending with our um, rally that you're all gonna tune into.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again uh, to Tony and to Manus. It was so interesting. I know that I'm gonna rewatch this uh, episode every time I need to combat some of my friends' uh, opinions about uh, cryptocurrencies. So thank you for watching and see you at the rally.
0: This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When we fight! When we fight! When we fight! Solidarity.